Hey there, Canada. I'm David Fitzgerald, and I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance, and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an From your favorite book of play on words and puns, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin and I am your host. Joining me as usual is the team whose lexicon will literally leave you loopy for life. Our no-nonsense, near-knowledge nanny of no news, Nancy. No, 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 no. <laughs> and our typical tabcast Trojan troll whose tribulations are trivial, Tyler. Troll. <laughs> Guys, welcome back. Had a great week, and today we're going to have a great show. We're actually going to have Eli Bosnick on. That's going to be fantastic. Oh, but I'm the, looking forward to that. But in the meantime, let's do a bit of chit-chat. Uh, do you guys hear that story about that uh, football player that uh, refused to stand up for the national anthem? Uh, I believe the 49ers quarterback, I believe his name is uh, Kaepernick. Kaepernick, exactly. He decides to not stand up for the uh, national anthem, which, of course, if we know with our American friend, that's a big no-no, and he does that to bring attention to the whole Black Lives Matter thing. Uh, do you think he's right? I think it was really, yes. I'll start out with a definite yes. What was interesting to me was when he did it, there was a wave of criticism. It wasn't appropriate. He should have done it someplace else. And just after, and it, was a very, it wasn't a tidal wave of criticism. It was just sort of a little swell, mm. you know. And just as that was, was, was coming to a peak, there was just this tsunami of um, uh, approval and saying that he's done what Americans should do, and that is when there is injustice to protest and use a, a, a wide venue to be able to do it. It was amazing to me. Especially from the veterans, right? Especially from yeah. veterans. But he got the support of just almost everybody that you admire at this point, you know, for getting up and, and saying what he did. Apparently it's also starting to snowball now. Apparently the uh, one of the players, football players for the Seahawks in Seattle, yeah. Yeah. It's starting to do the same thing. And uh, so we'll see where this is, this is going. But I can't help but think, you know, uh, if there's one line that conservatives uh, have a tendency to say is, is, oh, bleeding heart liberals, they're always crying and bawling over the slightest little thing. Well, right now you're crying over some guy not standing up for the national anthem. Yeah. You know, that is <laughs> the bleeding heart right there, the slightest little thing. Um, you guys also hear that our prime minister, Mr. Justin Trudeau, I've heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be featured in a uh, comic book from Marvel. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, you might not know that his father, uh, many years ago, was also featured in a Marvel comic book. And uh, the prime minister, uh, remember before he was prime minister, he ended up uh, having this boxing match versus an MP, a conservative MP, and won. Yeah. Well, apparently in this book, he's having a boxing match versus Tony Stark, Iron Man. Huh. <laughs> so that's got to be How cool. How did this come about? Do you know? Well, you know what? I think it's simply on, you know, in a way for the, the comic books to stay, to, to, to bring the world of superheroes to make it more real. 
And the Prime Minister is popular. He's well, is popular it, not just it, in, in the country, but all over the world. Is it a comic book or is it a graphic novel? Not that I, oh. I know the, the technical differences between, but I'm, I'm I know sure graphic myself. novels, you know, kids are, you know, people are really into graphic novels. I, I would not know. But or, or is that the fancy term for comic book? I, I saw on the website a couple of uh, vignettes yeah. where he's actually, you know, boxing uh, Tony Stark, so that's pretty cool. Oh, and yeah. I can't help but think, you know, you know what, like him or hate him, I mean, I didn't even vote liberal, but like him or hate him, there's no way in hell Stephen Harper would have been cool enough to pull something like that. <laughs> you know, the closest thing he ever did is take a picture with Justin Bieber, and we've been regretting it ever since. No, he's, he's clueless. And also uh, in the news, Bill Nye. Bill Nye, the science guy. He's having a new show that's going to appear on Netflix. It's supposed to be starting in the spring of 2017 called Bill Nye Saves the World. You've got all positive stuff on Chit Chat. This is. Well, it's not just wow. positive. Don't worry. The negative's coming. The negative's coming. So yeah. that'll be interesting to see. Bill um, Nye Saves the World. That's with, right. With yeah. GMOs. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you had to put that in. Uh, Bill Nye, he, he, he used that in a lot of his speeches. You know, he, he'll end up with speech, you know, we're trying to save the world or change the world. So that's mm-hmm. very interesting. I met him in Tacoma a couple of years ago. Nice guy, super nice guy. And there's a picture of me and him. Well, looking cool. forward to that. Did you ever get a picture with him? I do. I, do. I have oh. a picture of me and him where he actually is using one of my fedoras and he's kind of plopping it down on my head. So that's pretty, it's a cool oh, pic. Yeah. And uh, of course, here comes the bad news. Uh oh. And now we have to say, start saying Saint. Mother Teresa. Uh-oh. I know, I know. So, uh, Teresa of Calcutta. I don't even know her real name. I, I left it somewhere in a note there. Yeah. So, now she's uh, being canonized and she's going to be officially a saint. So, they're going, I mean, oh, I, it's, I, it's I realize happening. this sounds ridiculous, but they're happening. going with the myth. Oh, yeah, of they're course. They're going of with course. a whole, you know, of course they're going PR. With, well, it's religion. The whole thing is myth, yeah, I know. right? I know. <laughs> you asking for evidence? What show yeah, have you been on? I, I, well, actually, I don't think at this point they could stop. I, I, you know, it sort of snowballed into that. I don't think even if if the Pope said, oh, my gosh, you know, this is what she was really, I don't think they could. There, there's nothing they can do no. to stop it. I think, I think Mother Teresa had the, probably the best PR machine I've seen in a long time. And uh, Hitchens uh, had, had her pinned, pegged into the right spot. Mm-hmm. Um and it's kind of funny because normally to become a saint, I believe you have to do three miracles. Or you had to anyway. But they reduced that down to one confirmed miracle for her. And the oh. so-called confirmed miracle was uh, some Indian woman claimed to have been healed from some kind of stomach ulcer by putting uh, some kind of medallion of Mother Teresa on her stomach. And even yeah. her doctors said, you know, this is ridiculous. She just responded to medicine. But nonetheless, as far as the Vatican is concerned, miracle. Hallelujah. Well, it was a wonderful story, and I think for years most of us believed, I believed it, that here was this this simple little tiny nun went off to India and turned her, her, because of her religion, turned her life into helping people and and saving, you know, saving them from uh, bad health and taking them out of power. And the whole thing was just a myth. Oh, well, well, religion religion failed me again. (laughs) Indeed. Well, we'll save some of these stories for Eli when we bring them on. Yeah. But in the meantime, let's uh, set you up, dear. You ready to go with your segment? All righty, here we go. Find that music. There we go. And it's This Day in History, which is a roundup of those events and people that altered and illuminated the days between 
August the 29th and September the 4th. And I'm going to do something a little little different this time. I'm going to sort You're going of, off script? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. Now, got to have that script. Um, I'm going to sort of combine this day in history with Spotlight. Because a lot of times when we do a Spotlight, we do a Spotlight um, on someone who has become famous by being a scientist, by... A philosopher, someone who has, you know, um, achieved a great deal because of their intellect or because of of uh, what they've done. And and there is a woman who has been so neglected um, over the years that when I found out about her, I wanted to spotlight her not because of what she. Well, a little bit for what she accomplished, but for who she was. Okay. And I think it, it's really worthy of taking taking a little time. Even though I'm giving up August the 30th being <clears throat> National Toasted Marshmallow Day. And I know what? we're all going to miss that. I love that story. <laughs> but here we go. September the 1st. This is a story that took place in September. This, this I, I can't nail it down to the exact time, but it's a September story. So... We'll do September 1st, which is Teacher's Day, Knowledge Day, and Random Acts of Kindness Day, which all go into a lady whose name was Emma Gatewood. And eventually she was known as Grandma Gatewood. But wait till you hear this story. This is so powerful and so inspirational. Um, Emma Gatewood, in 1955, told her adult children when she was 67 that she was going for a walk. And the children didn't ask where or for how long because they knew she was a resilient woman and would take care of herself. But Emma Gatewood, or Grandma Gatewood, as we said, as she became known, was the first woman to hike the entire 2,050 miles of the Appalachian Trail by herself in 1955. Wait a minute, did she do this because the kids were driving her nuts? Did she need to escape? <laughs> well, there were 11 of them, and they certainly had That's a... That's a very they good certainly, reason. They certainly could have, but by this time they were adults, so she she regained her, or she retained her sanity, even though she had all of those children. <laughs> like so, some facts on that, I'm not yeah. sure. So for, our, for, for most of our listeners that may not understand where the Appalachian Trail is, it's a trail that starts in Georgia at Mount Springer, and goes through 14 states to Maine, through Mount Catahadden, and that is um, 2,200 miles or 3,500 kilometers, through 14 states, and she walked it from Georgia all the way up to Maine. Talk about a power walk. That was a power walk. So when when she was 67 years old, she... Um, Wait a minute. She, she did this at 67 years old? She was 67 years old when she started. Holy crap. And she had the 11 children, and she was also a grandmother of 23. So this is a woman who had a horrible marriage. She survived more than 30 years of marriage to a husband who beat her repeatedly. She lost. She ended up in the hospital. She lost teeth. But she kept she kept going. She had this resilience that started, unfortunately, out of this uh, horrible, horrible marriage. So about five years earlier than about 1950, uh, Gatewood read an article in National Geographic about the Appalachian Trail, and she said to herself, it might be a nice lark. Though in retrospect, considering the difficulty, she added, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. 
So the magazine gave her the impression of easy walks and clean cabins at the end of each day's walk. So she took very little when she started out in the way of outdoor gear. She wore kid sneakers, she carried an army blanket, a raincoat, and a plastic shower curtain in a homemade denim bag slung over her shoulder. She didn't bother with a sleeping tent, a a compass, or a map. She relied on the hospitality of strangers along the way and her own independent resourcefulness. She'd sleep in a front door swing, under a picnic table, on a bed of leaves when necessary, and she ate canned Vienna sausages, raisins, peanuts, plus greens she found on the trail, and meals offered by strangers. She met a lot of people. This was in 1955, and I think people at that point were kinder to strangers. They, and she was a woman, and she, she was fearless. She thought, oh, people will meet me along the way, and if I need something, I, and, and if I don't, oh well, I can live on my own till I find somebody yeah, well, to help. Think of the alternative. It's going back to 11 kids and 23 grandkids. Yeah, I would have been running too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One author described her journey as overcoming hardship and finding yourself and finding peace. So I guess from from the 11 children, that's where the peace came in. So she had in her sack, she carried the change of clothes, and she had bouillon cubes and powdered milk and everything that were just the basics that she could, you know, um, survive if she had to survive if she couldn't get anything else. Oh, she also had some Band-Aids, a bottle of iodine, some bobby pins for her hair, and um, uh, some some uh, slippers and a gingham dress so that she could have a good dress just in case she needed it. And she had a warm coat and uh, some and a Swiss Army knife. You have to take a Swiss oh, yeah, Army knife. Vital. Yeah, and she had a memo book that she bought for twenty five cents so that she could uh, put in you know the things that she kept a journal and she kept all of the stories written down of all of the things that that happened to her. So in September, this is where the September comes in, September 1955, she survived a rattlesnake strike, two hurricanes, a run-in with gangsters from Harlem, and a bear. After all of those things... Don't mess with that woman. Don't mess with that woman in the gingham dress. She stood atop that mountain in Maine and sang the first verse of America the Beautiful. Wow. And she said, (laughs) I said I'll do it, and I've done it. And she walked, she hiked straight through and took a less than 12 months. And then in 1957, she was the first person, male or female, to successfully tackle it again. And she said she wanted to do it the second time because then she could just relax and enjoy it. She had <laughs> then she completed it again in 1964. A third time? A third, doing it in sections, becoming the first to hike it in three times, to hike it for three times. Since she's gotten... Uh, uh, a lot of acknowledgement, you know, for doing it, but you never hear of her. No, you, no. No, but it, the, um, in 1959, uh, after she did this, she, she went west, going from Independence, Missouri to Portland, Oregon, as part of the Oregon Centennial Celebration. And she left two weeks uh, after that in a wagon train. Uh, they gave her uh, the opportunity to go in a wagon train, but she said, no, I'll, just, I'll go ahead and walk. So she did 2,000 miles that way, and that took 95 days. So now, 
um, Ben Montgomery, a Pulitzer Prize finalist and reporter for Tampa Bay, wrote a book called Grandma Gatewood's Walk, the inspiring story of the woman who saved the Appalachian Trail. And the people of the Appalachian Trail Conservative, uh, published in 1914 a book that made um, a bestsellers, bestsellers list. And the interest in her continues, and there's a documentary called Trail Magic that uh, premiered last year in Ohio, where she was born, Sheffield Village. And it's being shown on PBS. So maybe um, to mark her, the 60th anniversary, people will again will look at her story and be inspired and say, you know, well, if Grandma Gatewood could do this at 67, maybe I could do what I've the goals that I've set for yeah, myself. I feel the well. need to hit the gym right now. After yeah. you said that at 67. I mean, remarkable. Just totally. absolutely, absolutely remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. Also on this day, in um, uh, on September 1st, 1991, uh, was the publishing of Why I'm an Atheist, including the history of materialism in paperback by Madeline Murray O'Hare. There we go. So we get two two important women. We need to do the spotlight the on her, too. Yeah. We totally do September 2nd was Democracy Day in Tibet. Um, and in 1912, U.S. rodeo showman Guy Wittick opened the first Calgary Stampede Rodeo. Have you ever been? No. I have never been to the Stampede in Calgary. Never, never been. It's, it's about this time of year, too, isn't it? Just about you know, I starting? never know. I never know. It seems to be several times a year sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, coming up then through today, which is September the 4th, um, newspaper day, newspaper carrier day in, in the U.S., and in 1998, on September 4th, Google was founded by Larry Page and Sergey Google, Brin. never heard of it. Yeah, no, I, uh, you think anything will ever come Google up? Google, 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 yeah. <laughs> Two students at Stanford University in uh, 1998. It seems like it's been around forever. It does, it does. Whoa, how did we live without Google? I, I don't know. It was through Google I found Emma Gatewood, so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you, Grandma Gatewood, for inspiring us here. And, and I'm sorry you're not better known, but maybe... You know, in the days to come, you know, the the book and the documentary will uh, will be inspirational to more people. So that, dear listeners, brings to a close another passing parade and a spotlight of interesting, mundane, unusual, and occasionally bizarre and some inspirational events and people that make up this day in history. Thank you so much, Nancy, for this very interesting bit of history. Yeah, I think she's fabulous. I really, I really do. You know, she was one of those women I'd love to sit down with and say, "Okay, Emma, what really pulled you through? What, what, what kind of iron will did you did did you pull up? You know, to be able to complete that walk." Well, she, we think you're fabulous. She was <laughs> sixty-seven, right? So sixty-seven, she, the first she, time. She, she probably did. just lost her car in the parking lot and just kept <laughs> looking for it. <laughs> you know, if she had this terrible husband, you know, she's gone for 12 months doing that ride. And you know, the first thing he said to her when she walked back in, said, you're late. Where's dinner? <laughs> uh, you know, I before we go to commercial like we usually do, I just want to do a quick... Things that make you go... Because we did a, uh, a story last... We had this nice discussion last uh, show about these, uh, the burkini. That's right. Right? I just want to do a little something real quick on this. Um... You guys remember Charlie Hebdo? Yes. The magazine? Well, 
If there's anything we've learned from satirical French magazine Charlie Hebdo, is that when people who work there aren't going to stop poking fun at bad ideas, even when they're threatened with violence. They didn't stop after nearly a dozen staffers were killed in January 2015, and they're not going to stop now. So they came out with a, their usual magazine. Now, let me, let me try to describe this. Okay. Um, trying to com- uh, comment on the decision to ban burkas and uh, the burkinis from beaches, the latest issue depicts a man and a woman, a Muslim man with a traditional beard, and she's wearing just a hijab, but they're both butt naked, running on the beach. And the caption is, the reform of Islam, Muslims loosen up. <laughs> this goes exactly what uh, I was saying. You know, this is not, yeah. this is, this is th- people think that, you know, the, the French ban was about, uh, you know, racism towards Muslims. I don't think so. This is the spirit I think they actually have in France saying, you know what, chill. You know, take off a couple of layers. You're in France, for Christ's sake. And what reception did it get? Well, of course, the issue was uh, published and the staff received a threat that a new attack was imminent right away, right, via their Facebook page. Um, the cover, as the article notes, is a reaction to uh, the Cannes mayor, David Linzer, banning a full-body swimsuit known as the Burkinis at the city's beaches. Uh, blah, blah, it keeps going. Yeah, so I, I just wanted to have a, a quick thing like that because I know a lot of people say... Like I said, you know, a lot of people looked at it, uh, we looked at it through our North American eyes, you know, of saying, you know, individual freedoms, and that, that's perfectly fine. But I, I felt that the French didn't see it like that, because it is a different culture, and I'm, I'm a bit closer to this culture as being French-Canadian myself, and I think this piece actually kind of justified what I was saying there. They're not, I don't think they're trying to be racist towards Muslim and trying to ban Muslim from their countries. They're just trying to tell Muslims, like, hey, you're in France now. Chill, you know. Chill. Just take a couple of layers off. Go topless or whatever. This is France. Yeah, and they have such courage. They have such courage. That, you know, they're such an inspiration. And they're what journalists. They're they're what journalists should be. Exactly. Absolutely. And it was sorely uh, lacking all over the world. Yeah. So we'll see where that goes. So that was just my two cents on that story. Keeping it, following it. Good. I'm glad you brought it. Brought us up to speed on that. Well. We'll see what it goes. <laughs> Hopefully there's not another bombing there. And we'll be right back right after this. What is secular humanism? Critical thinking. Knowledge is freedom. Freedom from ignorance and its offspring, fear. The BC Humanist Association has been active in the Vancouver area for over 25 years. We offer a friendly and welcoming place to make new friends, as well as free educational lectures. We invite you to join us any Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Oak Ridge Senior Center. Please visit our website for more details at bchumanist.ca. Here's an excerpt from Mum, Dad, I'm an Atheist by David G. McAfee. It is the same highly regarded concept of an afterlife that allows misguided religious people to justify the mistreatment of those who disagree with their religious ideologies. They are simply trying to protect you from eternal damnation in the afterlife by condemning you, insulting you, and even disowning you in this life. It is not to say that becoming open about your disbelief is always going to be met with these negative reactions and, in fact, that is precisely what this work is hoping to prevent. But it is important to understand that if you experience negative reactions from religious kin, it is probably a result from the religion's teachings and likely not from any personal vendetta or hatred. Find this audiobook and many more at atheistaudiobooks.com. 
Hi, I'm the Supreme Irreverend Dr. Randy Tyson from the Legion of Reason Diversion. Join me and my co-hosts, Christine Shelska, Twyla, and Nate Phelps, as we explore issues at the intersection of atheism, humanism, and skepticism. Topics range from alternative medicine to the interference of religion in public policy. We often have special guests to help us understand the topic du jour. Previous guests include biologist Jerry Coyne, ex-Muslim author Ali Rizvi, philosopher Peter Bogosian, and the late physicist Victor Stanger. You can watch us on the Legion of Reason YouTube channel or subscribe to the audio version through your favorite podcatcher such as iTunes or Stitcher. And don't forget to like the Legion of Reason Facebook page. This used to be a fun house, but now it's full of evil And we're back. The fuck was that? <laughs> I believe that was pink. Okay. <laughs> Let's bring in our guest. So our next guest has made a huge splash as a comedian on the very entertaining God Awful Movies and Scathing Atheist podcast. He's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer, ladies and gentlemen, Eli Bosnick. Oh, the first time I've ever been called a snappy dresser. I like it. Like You're already my favorite show I've ever been on. Well, we got to write that down. <laughs> Mark that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for coming to the Valley, Eli. And I should say congratulations on, uh, I guess it's uh, Mr. Eli Bosnick now, Mr. and Mrs. Eli Bosnick. Yes, I've been made an honest man. Two-week anniversary, we got each other not caring. Wow. Oh, you know, congratulations, I, and welcome to, welcome to the Fraser Valley. I think, yes. I, th- I think there was a uh, GoFundMe uh, for uh, Eli to get married for some woman to tie him down and make an honest man out of him. Yeah, exactly. The, the result was $1. <laughs> $1. <laughs> Nice. It was me. I gave the dollar. <laughs> <laughs> Eli, uh, you're extremely popular down in the States, but here in Canada, you might not be as well known. So for our, 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 some of our audience that might not know you, would you be so kind to give us the Eli Bosnick story? Uh, well, I'm a comedian and uh, stand-up here in New York City. I also work as a professional magician. That was my day job for many, many years. Uh, and I got to know Heath and Noah from the Scathing Atheist podcast through some mutual friends at a building we worked in. And uh, basically what would happen is whenever someone would leave the company they worked at for their day job, they would do a roast for them. And uh, I did a set because I knew the person who was leaving their company, and they liked my set, and they brought me on. I did a guest spot on Scathing, where I was running for Pope, and then, (laughs) yes, I ran for Pope. Uh, I got beaten out by the current guy, and I just want to say, I would have arranged for the rape of way less kids, so not trying to be mean, not trying to be mean, I'm just saying I would have done a better job. You know, there's still the Um, position open for the uh, Russian Orthodox papacy. Okay, fingers crossed. There we go. Fingers crossed, then. Uh, I don't think I hate gay people enough, but I can try. I can work on it. <laughs> um, the comments of Eli are not necessarily those of Let the Valley subsidiaries. And <laughs> <laughs> you know what you did when you invited me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I they invited me on to do a guest spot, and then uh, I would come on to do Bible wrap-ups, and then eventually we started doing this movie review segment once a month, because I always loved terrible movies, and I would see these terrible Christian movies and sort of hit Noah up on Facebook and be like, dude, you gotta see God's Not Dead, or you gotta see this movie, it's so bad, you know, and he would be like, alright, fine, and check it out, and we would do, you know, these little segments on the show, and then I lost my job uh, at that building, uh, basically very, very quickly, and the company did right by me, but basically the two 
big toy stores in New York City that I was working in at the time closed within a few months of each other. Uh, and I, I sort of reached out to Noah and I was like, hey, man, like, don't know how much I'm going to be able to do scathing because I've got this uh, not job situation. I think I'm going to be an Uber driver. And he was like, why don't we try God Awful Movies? And uh, we did. And we got our funding in less than 24 hours and since wow. have grown and grown and it's just been I, I'm still surprised anybody is interested in anything I have to say but I've been lucky since and and very recently I just started as a full-time member of scathing so now I'm a co-host of scathing full-time fantastic well that's great that's that's great news well since you're the the movie expert I guess you're gonna be the movie expert I gotta ask you uh, you you've obviously heard of uh, Mel Gibson and his comments of doing a passion of the Christ too Care to I comment? am so excited for Passion of the Christ. You mean my birthday gift for the next four years? Yeah, I heard it. <laughs> so what do you think is going to happen in Passion of the Christ, too? Are they going to call it Jesus' Revenge? or? Yeah, I'm really hoping they go with Judgment Day. You know, just keep it, <laughs> keep it thematic. Yeah, of course. Why not, right? <laughs> yeah, or Secret of the Jews. <laughs> Ninja <laughs> Turtles reference. Oh. One person loving that. Also, apparently, Kevin Sorbo, you know Kevin Sorbo, this incredibly talented actor. I believe he's just like one notch above uh, Kirk Cameron. Uh, apparently, he's uh, doing a movie called, uh, well, I don't know if they have a title, but they call it The uh, World's Greatest Atheist Converting to Christianity. Yeah, written by his wife, no less. Well, that's got to be quality work. And in the interview, he was basically like, it was a thought experiment about what if the world's, and this is a quote, what if the world's top atheist, and I, don't, I didn't realize we ranked each other, and if, if anyone figures out what my ranking is, I'd like to know, it's like a fantasy atheist league we got going on, like, oh, first pick, I'll take Dillahunty, oh, I want Sam Harris, I don't know, he's had a bad season. Well, it's not quite fantasy, but we, I believe there are trading cards out there. Oh, I want an atheist trading. Now I'm mad if I don't have a trading card. Yeah, Make me a trading card. I, I, I bought your trading card for at least a dollar, but you know, I, okay. think, I think it could sell on eBay for more than that. <laughs> <laughs> like the four horsemen Pokemon cards or something? <laughs> Richard Dawkins Go. Okay. Like Yu-Gi-Oh, you combine all four horsemen and you can, you can destroy a Dinesh D'Souza card? I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Three Good nerds one. who watched all those Intelligence Squared debates loved that joke. <laughs> I think you just called us nerds. We all laughed at it. That's right. It's just us. It's just us. <laughs> Thank you so much for staying with us, Eli. Uh, we'll go into our, our segment that we call... Another Brilliant Moment, brought to you by religion. Yes, the weird and wacky world of religion. I've got a couple of stories, and Eli, I want your comments on this as well. All right, I'm ready. Hit me. We got the, um, we'll start with a, an oldie but goodie, actually it's quite new, but the uh, mummified remains of the Dark Lord of the Sith, a.k.a. Pat Robertson, were wheeled out temporarily <laughs> onto the Studio 700 Club to advise a grandmother that she should prevent her grandchild to be raised by atheists. That's right, the same man who claims thrift store clothing contains demons thinks atheists don't have a realistic view of the world and shouldn't <laughs> raise kids. Not to say it makes me wonder why that grandmother would be seeking parental advice from the crypt keeper who once said religious kids should be beaten and can you feel the love of God yet? Robertson suggested she purchases Superbook, a Bible-based series of animated stories, produced by Robertson, of course, and force her grandson to watch. Now, the irony of this is a conservative Christian always claiming persecution and secular indoctrination, giving this advice... It's thick enough to choke on. You guys have any thoughts on this? Well, wait a minute. Now I, I, I lost the whole content. 
that the grandmother wrote in, and her grandchildren are atheists. And no, no, no. Oh. The, the the parents are atheists. The parents, and, and are she's atheists. trying to save the grandkid. Oh, she's saving the grandkids. Well, yeah, that's what she thinks anyway. Okay. Well, you know they say that. Um, uh, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to think of that that great quote that. Um, uh, children and grandparents get along so well because they share a common enemy, which is the parents. <laughs> so, in, in this case, Pat Robertson may they have something going, and the parents will get a little rest. And what the heck? So the kids will learn a little Bible stories, and you know, will reject evolution. Who cares? The parents will get a little rest. Well, I don't know. I would keep him away. <laughs> Eli, have well, any thought on that? I'm so excited for her to show the because I've watched Superbook. Oh, you have. And, yeah, and Superbook is next-level crazy. So depending on whether or not these children have reached the age of reason, especially if they have secular parents, that's going to be hilarious. You try and show Superbook to a normal kid, they're just like, I don't like this. I want to go back to Jock McStuffins. Why does God keep drowning everyone? Just watch the movie. The 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 Green God's Goblet on the TV told me you would like this. I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> Grandma wants to save your souls. <laughs> I'm putting that on for my six year old as soon as we get home. It's gonna I'll just pick it apart. <laughs> Super. Boring. I tried showing my sister because I was watching Veggie Tales for Gam because uh, I preview all the movies that we watch for our show. They have and a Veggie Tale movie. And they have a ton of VeggieTale movies, oh, uh, and a bunch of them are on Netflix, and I'm watching these VeggieTales with, at the time, was my 10-year-old sister. And I'm going through, and I'm trying to find a fun one, I'm trying to find a fun one, and I'm sort of watching her out of the corner of my eye to, like, see how she feels about this. And we get to the one about Noah's Flood, and my 10-year-old sister at the time goes, this is boring, this is a bad made-up story, and just <laughs> up and walks out of the room, and I was like... It's my sister. There you go. Look for her. <laughs> I thought VeggieTale was just a little show they put on for kids. Like a, they have movies about this thing. Oh god. Oh scary. yeah, no, they got movies and all sorts of stuff. They have like a problem of evil VeggieTales, which is pretty fantastic. It'll be on game eventually. Oh sweet. Yeah, they don't handle like baby rape. Like you don't see a cucumber getting like childhood AIDS or anything like that. But <laughs> it's pretty fantastic. Cucumber with childhood AIDS. That's a pickle of a problem. <laughs> didn't they get bought out oh. recently? Did, what? Didn't somebody buy VeggieTales fairly recently and kind of change it a bit? Oh, no. I didn't. I was not aware of this. Yeah. No, I'd never heard of it. Uh. Well, speaking of vegetables, I've got another one. Now, we all know that Jewish comforters have a thing for appearing on food. I mean, nothing says salvation, you know, quite like the famous cheeses cracker or holy toast or as far as you complete breakfast. So, not to be outdone, a chef in a senior's residence in Quebec, this is in Canada right here, so we have our crazies too, saw a sign of the divine presence in a potato. Now, imagine the inspiring moment when Chef Boyardee, I mean, sorry, Chef Alain Lévesque, decided to cut the so-called sacred spud and saw a cross. Never thinking that the tuber could simply be rotting, which is a common condition, he chose to interpret the miracle vegetable as a clear sign of God's protection, probably from the next great potato famine. So now the residents are now trying to preserve the vegetable and will display it in the case. Is that a valid argument for unity? <laughs> for, for senior homes, or what do we do with this? <laughs> oh, man. 
I, 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 I get speechless on, on these kinds because they're, they're so wonderful that nothing you can say can either make it any better or any worse. It, they're just outrageous. And the fact that, that people really believe that, you know, this has some holy connection, it's just, it just boggles. Well, they're seniors. Yeah. I mean, they're, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel like things Wait, are boring enough at a retirement home that you're just like, sure, Jesus is in that potato. Anything not to have to watch old episodes of mash again <laughs> the grandkids aren't back until christmas yeah jesus is in the potato and spock's in the casserole whatever yeah but if, if it was any clear indication of religion there'd be there'd be some kind of compromise you know the potato is holy but you can't the fries are unholy and you can't have chips either right because that, that's boiled in the devil's See, I learned earlier this year that it's actually not just Christians that see their gods in various inanimate objects because some of the protesters um, were like a cult from India that believe their prophet um, inscribed his face on the moon. So for anyone who actually listens to Scathing or got to hear my interview with them, they believe that the spots on the moon were actually placed there by their prophet who died in like 1976. So it's nice to know it's not just the Americans and the and the North American people who are doing this kind of thing. There's worldwide crazy of seeing your prophets and your gods in in various so, inanimate objects. So this particular prophet is literally the man in the moon. Yeah, he is literally the man in the moon. And if you say his name 3 times, he will appear in your heart like <laughs> Candyman. This is not, this is their real thing. I, who they would did you not like have the comparison the, to Candyman that I made. I like him better him. than the than the Potato Cross. I mean, yeah. you know, really, have the that's guy a, in the moon instead yeah, of the Potato you, Cross. Well, there's you can't say things three times and have the Potato Cross do anything. It just sits there. It's just a poor little tuber. <laughs> what if you mash a potato? <laughs> you could mash it. What if you're Irish? Maybe it's just more significant if you're Irish. It, that's true, and maybe it's a special thing. Hey, I've got a joke for you, actually, while we're here talking about potatoes. How many potatoes does it take to kill an Irishman? How many? None. <laughs> <laughs> too soon? Is that too soon? <laughs> no, it's wonderful. <laughs> oh, goodness. Thank you so much for your thoughts on this. All oh, right. Eli, we're going to concentrate on you now, my friend. All right. So tell me something. Uh, we've we've went into a, a, bit, a bit of your history, and I gotta ask you a few questions that've been bugging me. You were bold enough and crazy enough to lick the eyeball of Ray Comfort. I did. <laughs> I did. I licked Ray Comfort at the uh, Reason Rally. How? First of all, how does that taste? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's well, you know, if you've ever had a Foster's that accidentally spilled on the back of an armadillo, um, and you drank it anyways, then you know exactly what it tasted like. But in case you haven't, you can get that mental picture, and you'll pretty much get it. A Foster on the back of an armadillo? Yeah, this is Canada. Take- We're not Australians here, man. Oh, okay. You okay. should say an O'Keefe on the back of a hockey player. There you go, an O'Keefe on the back of a. Ho- it's like a Wayne Gretzky on uh, having nationalized healthcare. How's that? Canadian? Canadian enough. <laughs> oh, awesome. Eli, do you, do you, you feel that um, as a comedian, I mean, you guys obviously speak very loudly to all the atheists out there, and you guys have a huge following already, and everybody loves you. But how effective do you find your message a, into uh, the, the believer? I mean, do you, do you guys get any respect, or you dismiss right offhand? 
I mean, you know, we're we're definitely FUBU Entertainment, which is for us, by us. You know, this is, you know, most of our listeners are atheists who are in the closet, who cannot come out to their family, who cannot come out to their friends, and they have these thoughts, and they want to hear someone expressing them. They want to hear Noah's diatribes. They want to hear these ideas being mocked and taken down, but they don't have anyone in their life they can go to to hear that. So for the most part, we provide that for them in a, in a very secret and personal way, which is people don't know what's in your earbuds. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. You know, and and that's one of the pieces of feedback we get a lot is, you know, that we're a lot of people's secret pleasures. What's interesting is we do have believers who are on the edge who our mockery helps them towards more reasonable, friendly guiding sources you know they'll say oh you know i listened to your show when i was a christian and you know i always thought it was fine to make fun of those things but then you know some of noah's diatribes would really make me think or something Heath said really would make me think Huzzah! a man of quality and that sort of made me an atheist and i think it's the way that people sort of dip their tones a little bit into what do the atheists talk about when the christians are out of the room and the truth is there's lots of people reaching out to christians there are there's tons and tons of people who reach across the aisle and sort of try and guide gently into reason. Uh, but it's sort of, you know, just the way you need CNN or MSNBC. You also need the daily show. And we sort of provide the daily show or the South park of atheism while people like Hammett and David Smalley and some of those others sort of reach across the aisle folks, they do the, they do the trenches work of, of bringing the Christians over a little more gently and with a little bit more love and care. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, it's, it's it's interesting you say that because I was about to say you know um, uh, you you're right you you certainly are the guilty pleasure of a lot of uh, atheists in the closet but I also think that this type of humor gives them the courage to come out and mm-hmm. use uh, humor like that to uh, like Christopher Hitchens would say it's the beginning of emancipation when you mock something right you keep using the word I don't think it means what you think it means. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the one thing I was going to say is that it kind of pisses me off that there's all this VeggieTales stuff and just the Christians and religious people in general have all this stuff for kids, but we atheists don't. I think we need like an atheist VeggieTales. Yeah, it's, you know, it's starting to take place. There's a couple of children's books. Um, obviously, uh, Sam Harris's wife, I Wonder, her fantastic book came out. Um, there's the, oh, I'm totally forgetting them. Smalley is uh, working out with Small Explorers or a Little Explorers series, which uh, is Tiny really Thinkers, cool. I believe it's called. What is it called? Tiny, Tiny Thinkers, Thinkers, yes. The Tiny Thinkers series, which is really smart. And then Randy's got those critical thinking courses for kids um, that have been, that were in school programs for a little while. So there are smaller things, but so much of it often often comes. And Noah did a great diatribe about this. He said, you know, if you just educate someone normally with the, in the, you know, attempt to make them know the most true things about the universe, um, they'll end up atheists. You know, you don't have to, you know, no one ever slips notes into someone's Halloween candy saying that hamsters are smaller than elephants, right? True information doesn't need to be prophetized in the same way that religion does. And that's that's a quote from Noah. And I think that's a lot of why you don't see the same 
uh, depth and commitment to outreach that you see with religious circles as you do in secular circles? Because the truth is, you know, every good science teacher, every teacher who instills critical thinking is an atheism teacher. They don't know it. They don't say, here's why God's not real. But, you know, if you teach a kid how to disprove Bigfoot, you later you give that kid the tools to disprove God. Mm. Yes, indeed. Did, did you hear that the Magic School Bus is coming back? Oh! For Netflix, I think it's called Magic School Bus 360. Yeah, and Bill Nye's getting an, uh, a Netflix talk show. I was about to exciting. say that, yeah. The, the show's called Bill Nye Saves the World. Well, mm-hmm. the very one, excited about The it. one thing that always bugged me, because we've watched every episode of the Magic School Bus, my kids and I, a million times, they never did a single episode on evolution or the Big Bang, so I was really hoping that they'll do something like that. I mean, I can kind of understand they would have got quite a bit of backlash back in the 1990s when it was really big, but evolution is like the backbone of biology, right? And no, they never you, covered it. You missed a message. Didn't you see the show? The bus itself would evolve <laughs> to, to, yeah, exactly. to die. <laughs> right, I also got to ask you, since I got you here, uh, got to ask you a thought. Now, what do you think about Saint Mother Teresa? Ha! Well, um, what an incredibly stupid question. Ugh, I mean, Sadist. what can I say that Christopher Hitchens hasn't already said better? That's it's, true. You know, it's super disappointing. The The problem is that it's one of those common parlance things. And this is a great way. You know, people talk to me about, like, how do I talk to my religious relatives about stuff like this? And, and this is a great way to sort of make those entrees. You know, it, the most cursory Google of what it is she actually did reveals her to be one of the most dangerous, cruel, sort of... Uh, mean-spirited public figures in the last I don't know how many years. I'm so sorry, guys. Give me two seconds. Of course. Sorry. One, two. <laughs> He's an atheist. He must be a liar. <laughs> There's a doorbell, eh? Yeah, I think so. Thank goodness for cut and paste, huh? If it was live, that'd be a, a bit of a problem. Sorry about that. I'll tell you another thing about it. You're like, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. Hopefully that can be edited out. Yes, we um, can cut that out. <laughs> I shut off my phone and told my poor wife. I was like, okay, you got to be quiet because doing this interview and then I've gotten buzzed and rung and doorbells and dogs and everything. Well, I appreciate running that. Running like crazy. We don't usually okay. get that kind of treatment. <laughs> um, where were we? Sorry. Bring we're, me back. Mother Teresa. I, th- I think, oh, I think Christopher said it so, best. She was a friend of poverty. She wasn't a friend of the poor. Exactly. She was a friend of poverty. She really believed that suffering was the way to be close to God and Christ and stuff like that. And it's, it's heartbreaking because not only does it mean that people are going to tend to, you know, exonerate that lifestyle and, uh, you know, look up to it, but it also creates a system by which we praise people without actually looking at their actions, right? Mm-hmm. You know, when you ask most people what Mother Teresa did – They'll tell you she worked with the poor, she went into the worst places in the world, and she fed them, and she helped them, and she saved them. And the truth is that, you know, she's probably, you know, she is very likely a less effective charity worker than UNICEF, which is already not a very good charity. You know, there are so many people out there doing real work who deserve our real praise. You know, people like Elon Musk deserve more praise just for inventing Uber. And, you know, and we have this idea in our head of these people who are somehow magical, and it's not not limited to her it also falls to gandhi it falls to the dalai lama and of course penn and teller on their great show bullshit mm-hmm. did a takedown of all three of them that was really fantastic but you know this idolization of a per- canonization literally 
of of the cult of personality, she's just another example of it. And the further we can move away from it, the better we'll be. Inconceivable. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I heard I, that. <laughs> oh, he, he heard the the effect. Yay. Uh, yeah, though the question is, do you think the truth will ever overcome the myth so that people will realize, you know, who she actually was, not who the, she was purported to be? Yeah. That, that 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 question interests me. What do you think, Eli? Uh very likely not. I mean, you know, we especially in the United States. I don't know if this is as much true in Canada, but especially in the United States, we love our myths, you know, and you sort of sometime in college, if you choose to study it or if you come into the right class, someone explains to you that, you know, Christopher Columbus didn't discover America and figure out that the world was round and all the other crazy things you're taught as a kid. Because of that sort of oversimplified level of education we get, it's very likely that her legacy will maintain and stay what it was. But the truth is that as people become less religious and as the church loses power, which it has been and will continue to do, their legends and their saints and their figures will become less and less important as time goes on. So I don't think that we'll ever really understand the truth about her on a cultural zeitgeist level, but I do think that the church and her mythos will become unimportant enough that it hopefully won't matter. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think that's a great, that's a great analysis. It makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> right. He's not just funny. He's pretty smart, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I gotta also ask you. Uh, you guys are making a big fuss. Uh, this is uh, from a Canadian perspective. It's very interesting. I'm talking about the uh, the story about that foot, uh, the uh, 49ers uh, quarterback, that footballer player who doesn't want to stand up for the uh, national anthem. I believe his name is uh, Kaepernick. Yeah. Uh, for, as a Canadian, it's, it's very interesting because the patriotic streak the Americans have is almost a bit foreign to us. We don't have a pledge of allegiance. You know, of yeah, course, it's we'll very stand up. fetishized. Uh, it is. Um, it's 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 a very powerful. Instinct that's in, for lack of a better word, indoctrinated into kids at a very young age in the states, and it, there's a lot of ink written about this. And this guy is not standing up for the for the pledge. I mean, what are your thoughts about? The, the, is he right to not do that? Oh, he's absolutely right. I mean, you you have a right to not stand for that. I can't remember a time that I so he he didn't stand for the national anthem. It wasn't the pledge. Um, although I do love the idea of the pledge of allegiance is crazy and one tiny side note which anyone who's interested in Canada should look up is if you take any of the things that the United States is known for like standing for the national or that the United States is sort of fetishized I should say like standing for the national anthem the pledge of allegiance under God putting God on our money you know a a lot of our different military traditions the running of the Olympic torch when you look at them they're almost all Nazi uh, traditions (laughs) that we stole because the Nazis were, like, more into Germany than we were into the United States. So we were just like, the Nazis all have their kids stand up at the beginning of the school day. We're going to do that now. Okay, well, our Pledge of Allegiance says he plurimizudum. Well, now it's about God, because they seem not to talk about him quite a bit. So now it's our thing. And there's a fetishization of patriotism. Uh, The idea that what defines a country is somehow the loyalty to it. Uh, And and it is almost a uniquely American um, disease, if you will. But, But of course, you know, not standing for the national anthem or not standing for the pledge um, is more patriotic than blaming someone for doing it, right? Supporting someone's rights is more... uh, indicative uh supporting someone's rights is is 
better and and more indicative of act- actually standing for the values of your country than condemning someone for doing it. So it, it, it's this weird fetishization, and it's also very ironic because you know our our Republican candidate is running on a platform of America sucks and I am the only one who can make it better, right? He will make America great again, which means America's not great. But but the truth is that they don't actually believe that. The Republicans, the right, the conservatives in our country, they don't actually believe that. They believe that they are great. You know, they're they're temporarily embarrassed millionaires. Yes. And yes. and if only the people who talk about the problems in it, like Kopernik, would shut up then it would be great again, right? So the example that they, this is actually a really great example is the people who point out the country, the problems with this country, who are actually saying, here's how we would make our country great. What they mean is change. And the right has defined itself almost since the 70s. And I don't think this is just in the United States. I think this is in a lot of places by trying to hold that change back. And we're just sort of seeing it come to fruition in these giant cartoonish clownish events like this one. It's an interesting uh when we look at it from the, the north of the 49th, because especially the United States having a uh, uh, secular constitution, and we actually don't, yet our country seems to be much more secular than the United States. It's, a, it's an interesting study in itself, Yeah, the, the difference between the country. I have to say that I, up until this whole thing happened, I had never actually heard or read the third verse of the national anthem, and it is totally fucked. Well, yeah, the US yeah it's... Yeah, it's like anti. It's racist as hell. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. And and even if you ask most Americans, they can tell you like maybe the first verse, <laughs> if that. Yeah, they they do not know the whole thing. It's also very funny because it's like it's written about a war. It was supposed to be America the Beautiful at one point, which is actually a relatively peaceful song. It's just a series. Of silly, silly words. I mean, it would be like being mad for someone not dancing to fat bottom girls. That's the level <laughs> in which it approaches me intellectually. It's like, I love fat bottom girls, and when people don't dance to it, I'm like, you're ruining the party. You mean but you like the like song, or you like the... the N-word at them for not doing it? <laughs> that is my favorite Queen song by far. But... Oh, it's so good. Doesn't it just seem kind of, like, hypocritical? I mean, I don't like creationists. I despise them. But I defend their right... To say it, I don't think we should be throwing them in jail or trying to silence them. It's it's that whole thing about I will defend your right to say stupid shit that I don't agree with. Right. You know, that's Absolutely. kind of what happened with Tim. They're criticizing him because they think they're all patriotic and freedom this and freedom that, and that's going against what they're saying. They're, they're acting like Nazis, you know, stand up and. Well, that's because the Republicans just them. they they just like freedoms in terms of concept. They don't really like it in terms of, of practice. Wait a minute, you that's you are exactly. American. You're you're a resident American here. That, well, no, Nancy's I'm a dual. A, I'm a yeah. dual citizen. So Na- I can, Nancy was born. I can I can go either way depending <laughs> on. <laughs> I can go either way depending on which way I have a greater advantage. So living on the border, yeah. you know, you can go either way. Keep it PG thirteen here. I this is a family show. Way. But it it really is. Ir- it's more than irritating that the that the Republicans you know have such a hue and cry, but they're the ones who, uh, you know, don't don't want to pay their taxes. They really you know, don't want the civil rights, you know, to to be the the law of the land. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet when when something comes when they can look like they're really standing up for patriotism, but they don't have to do anything about it, you know, they're they are it's just you know it it's it, 
it, it, it's a situation at this point that if it wasn't so pathetic, it would be laughable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, I do believe that we are witnessing the death of the Republican Party. Oh, me in too. Trump. Me you know, it's, too, it's, absolutely. If you made a study of history in the way that I have, I'm a little bit of a history nerd and I admit it, um, you see patterns emerging. And when you look at the last years of the Whig Party, everything from the slightly celebrity brash extreme version of the candidate to the stalling and stopping of public function to the inability to elect Supreme Court justices. You know, they're following all the right patterns to collapse. And I, I think they will eventually be replaced by the libertarians who I disagree with on a lot of different areas, but are slightly less worthless at this point in history. I think they'll be replaced by the libertarians and the Democrats will be replaced by the democratic socialists. So we, we're starting to see a political revolution, whether we want it or not. I'm hoping that the Republican Party just collapses and rebuilds itself. Maybe, you know, they could have a wing that's sort of libertarian, but it would be nice for the Republican Party to, and I hate to, I hate to do this because they, you know, most of the Republicans want to go back to the 50s, and, and I certainly don't want that. But in the 50s and 60s, the Republican Party had the liberal wing and they had a conservative wing, and they, they went across the aisle and they talked and they were able to accomplish things. But since Newt Gingrich, you know, had the contract with America, that all has disappeared. And it would be wonderful if for some, some, um, you know, constructive, it would be wonderful if some constructive people could put the party back together so that it was actually functional. Wait a minute. Yeah. Is, isn't, in, I'm not a big history buff like Hila here, but uh, isn't a change in uh, party policy usually happens after an assassination attempt in the States? That's tradition, isn't it? Yeah, but, but, I mean that's that's one way that it happens. There are slightly more peaceful ways, but it's, <laughs> it's true assassination attempts are. Now we're not saying to our American yeah, audience exactly. out there, we're not I, saying I, somebody not should just grab a gun. No, for anyone to try and assassinate Mr. Trump. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it, well, it's interesting because and and I was reading a really fascinating article the other day in the New Statesman, and I wish I remembered what it was called, but it was talking about how. You know, in the eyes of a meta historian, what we see a lot that comes from things like the Republican Party appealing to the evangelicals is a government that is a government that is in essence an oligarchy pretending to be a democracy. Yeah. And yes. that's the problem. You know, when you have an oligarchy that doesn't pretend to be a democracy, things generally turn out all right. And when you have a democracy, like a pure democracy, things generally turn out all right. But what we have right now is we have very, very small percentage of our population makes most of the policy, makes most of the laws, makes most of the decisions for the country, and simultaneously pretends, you know, you have Harvard-educated people like Ted Cruz pretending to be a good old boy, and he's not. And he doesn't believe any of the things he says. He just says those things because he's pretending to be a democratically motivated candidate, when, of course, we know he's not. No one who went to Harvard uses with any kind of says with any kind of intellectual honesty the things that he says. And you guys dodge a bullet with that guy, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that, that was a great interview. We actually found a side of Eli that you don't usually hear. A side, that's you know, right. he can talk politics with the rest of everybody. That's awesome. That's right. Eli, my friend, thank you so much for the interview. What's on deck for you and the rest of your crew? Well, we have a national tour coming up this year. Uh, we're going all over the world, actually. We're going to England. We've got a tour date planned for all over the United States. We've got six dates tentatively set up right now, which we'll be announcing 
hopefully within the next few months or so, we've got to solidify locations and venues and stuff like that. And we might even be coming up your guys' way. So, and by that I mean the country of Canada. I don't know if that's. (laughs) (laughs) It's a big country. (laughs) Yeah, it's a big country, and 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 my Canadian people have told me to stop saying that I'm coming up their way because we don't know. But we we are going to hit Canada eventually. Um, We've also got the Skeptocrat, which is coming back. It's our politics show. and that should be coming back within the next month or so, hopefully. And Gam and the Scathing Atheist and much, much more. Excellent. And uh, if people want to find more about Eli and his crew, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter, at Eli Bosnick, or they can find any of the shows, The Scathing Atheist, God Awful Movies, or The Skeptocrat on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else podcasts live. Extremely helpful and extremely uh, fun shows, I, w- I will say. Eli, before I let you go, i got to ask you a small favor. Can I get you to say, hi, I'm Eli Bosnick of God Awful Movies, and I took a left at the valley. Hi, I'm Eli Bosnick of God Awful Movies, and I took a left at the valley. And that was Eli Bosnick. Fantastic interview. Fantastic gentleman. And wish him all the best in the future. He's got friends in Canada for sure. Top of my rant. Do you remember the Vancouver Winter Olympics of 2010? Several things from those games became part of Canadian folklore. It wasn't the fact that it was the most successful Olympics in the nation's history, nor, believe it or not, the gold medal game of hockey that shook the stadium. It was the spirit of camaraderie shown by all Canadians. Flags were flying high, courtesy was extended to visitors from other nations. All denominations, whether Sikh, Muslim, Christians, or atheists, stood together Heck, even Olympic game protesters had a good time. That was patriotism done right. Now, most Canadians don't think of patriotism like our Americans' neighbor do. We often see their patriotism as borderline fanaticism. This week, a football player sat silently during the U.S. National Anthem. He silently protested the systematic racism in his country. He didn't cause a disturbance or use profanity, Yet his silence sent out the loudest message. And when that athlete took a stand by not standing, he demonstrated that what freedom was all about in modern society. Then the deluge of hate descended on him, some even from freethinkers. The irony of this is skeptics battle day in and out against religious indoctrination done to kids without realizing that patriotic indoctrination works the same way. Taught at an early age to chant USA, USA, no matter what the country does, inevitably results in venom when the same ideal is challenged. That's patriotism done wrong. There is a famous black and white picture taken in Nazi Germany where an anonymous man stands silent in a crowd of hundreds doing the Nazi salute. We revere this anonymous man for having the strength to stand against the green. Yet why do so many not see that same man in a quarterback uniform? Patriotism appeals to our basic tribal instinct and has often been manipulated to horrendous ends. Remember how patriotic most Americans felt on the eve of invading Iraq? Instead of attacking him, we should thank him and encourage others to stand up. He is the sober second look we need when we rise too high on the vibe of tribalism. And that takes us to the end of our show. Thank you so much for Tyler and Nancy for joining me for this wonderful show with Eli Bosnick. Coming up next week, 
What do we got going on? We have, we should be talking about the Great Flood coming up soon. We also have, guess, guess, guess what? We got David Silverman coming down as well. That should be a great show. We also have a debate coming up with a Christian. We're going to be talking about the, the mythicism of Jesus and uh, what religion does versus uh, atheism. And we'll have, God knows, so many other shows coming down. Also, Arn Ra, our friend Arn Ra, has just released a book. He's going to be coming back on the show. and We can't wait to see that. You can always find us on Facebook, leftatavalley.com. You can leave us a five-star review or four or five-star review on the iTunes. If you're not going to do that, just don't bother. Uh, you can leave us a message on leftatvalley@outlook.com. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. Until next time. Intelligent people can reach the conclusion that all non-believers are evil. What a fucked up statement. Do you realize what you're saying? But according to your book, this is how your God made me. Skeptical of anything that contradicts history, denies evolution, hates science, promotes mystery. I'd rather see the truth than to bask in my own ignorance. Rather be alone than surrounded by damn idiots. As long as there's a breath in my body, you can bet your last dollar. Comes from culture, only true on a regional scale. Science is universal. Were you to say that Horus isn't real, but Jesus is, or Zeus, Thor, Mithra, Vishnu, you don't believe in them? I think the reason is apparent. You do what you're told and believe in the God assigned by your parents. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. Something to be ashamed I'm an atheist Something to be ashamed I'm an atheist, atheist, atheist. I'm an atheist